BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And also welcome back to Professor Andrew Basevich, the president of the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft, professor emeritus of history and international relations at Boston University, author of numerous books, including America's War for the Greater Middle East and Military History and his latest Age of Illusions. Quincy INST, as an institute, QuincyINST.org is the uh, website and also the Twitter handle. Andrew is the president of that. He grew up in Indiana. He graduated from West Point and Princeton, served in the Army, and became an academic and now a writer. Andrew, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I know that you and your family have a history with Afghanistan, and now we have Donald Trump saying that he's negotiating the end of America's longest war with Afghanistan. That, in the abstract, seems like a really good thing. What's really going on here? Well, I think we're at the early stages of what is likely to be a fairly long story here. I very much hope that the Afghanistan war is ending because I think it's been an act of folly on our part that needed to end long ago. I hope that the Afghan people will be able to emerge from this nightmare that they have been experiencing for several decades now. But to me, the most important thing, and I, I guess I'm speaking from a narrow American perspective, the most important thing here is to realize that we've experienced a profound defeat. I mean, the objective of, of the Taliban all along has been to force foreign troops to leave their country. Right. They are now about to achieve that. They've won. We've lost. And I think there's a tremendous need to reflect on this failure on our part, how it occurred, and what it means. Well, they evicted the Soviets before they evicted, you know, now they're in the process of evicting us. If we look back at Vietnam, you know, the South Vietnamese, or the Vietnamese rather, uh, evicted the French, and then, you know, and then us. It seems to me that the framing on this is wrong. First of all, Mullah Omar had you know, publicly said he would arrest bin Laden and turn him over to a third country for trial if uh, George W. Bush would simply present him with any evidence at all that bin Laden was responsible for 9-11. Bush said, no thanks, we'd rather have a war. We won that war in as much as we took down the Afghan government in a matter of weeks or months at the most. Everything since then has been an occupation. And I would say the same is true of Iraq. Or am I wrong? No, I think you're exactly right. And of course, then you say, well, why did that happen? Why did we change our mission, in a sense? If the object of the exercise was to overthrow the Taliban government, you're right. We did it in a matter of weeks. But then we set out to nation build. We set out to having removed a regime that we didn't like. We set out to install a regime that would be more to our liking. And installing the regime meant creating Afghan security forces, trying to create a competent government, trying to eliminate corruption, try to deal with the fact that Afghanistan produces most of the opium for the entire world. And that led us to this almost two decades long project where we have sadly have accomplished very, very few of our objectives. And now Trump, I think very much reflecting the preferences of the American people to the extent that they're paying attention, Trump has basically said, hey, we're out of here. Yeah. And 
I can't recall any time that the United States has overthrown a government and then had a successful occupation of a country. We've, you know, we've participated in overthrowing governments. So, you know, Allende in Chile, was it Gosedek? What's his name? The guy in Iran that we overthrew and helped install the Shah. Mossadegh, yes. Yeah, Mossadegh, yeah. And it blew up in our face. We helped put Saddam Hussein in power, as I recall. We helped overthrow a democratically elected government there, too. But well, I'm going to disagree with you a little please. bit. And it, but the disagreement is a telling one. Because the way we have chosen to remember World War II is that we achieved regime change in Germany, and we achieved it in Japan, and at least in West Germany, we embarked upon a successful nation-building project, and the same applies to Japan. Mm-hmm. But the key here is that those circumstances were unique. <laughs> we, we had to drop nuclear weapons on Japan. You know, we had to virtually destroy Germany in order to create a West German democracy. But political elites, and and this is true of people in both parties, I think have used this 1945 outcome as a reference point. You know, by God, if we can build a democracy in Germany, then surely we can build it in Iraq or in Afghanistan. And the the historical comparison was bogus, uh, and the 1945 example simply has not panned out to anybody's benefit. One of my mentors, who I met in 1978 and who died in his 90s in the previous decade, was in the German army and remembered those times quite well. And in fact, some of the other people, he ran an international relief agency, and several of the other people were of his age, and they had also been in the Hitler Youth, actually. Horst von Heyer, in particular, I got to know him very well. And what they described to me was that Germany basically fell under the thrall of a cult. And in their opinion, the same thing had happened in Japan with this emperor worship, and that it took an absolute and utter military defeat that devastated the country to break the thrall of that cult. And once the cult was broken, that was basically the end of it. And if you were to identify the Taliban as a cult, as a fundamentalist cult of sorts, we have done nothing close to breaking that cult. Does that make any sense? Are there any lessons in that? Well, I don't know. You know, I think I'd, I'd throw in, with regard to the examples of, of Germany and Japan and why they were able to reform, I think I'd throw another factor into the mix, and that's the, the existence of the Soviet Union. Mm. You know, if, if you were in the western part of Germany at the end of World War II, you had a choice. You can align yourself with the West, aligned with the United States, or you can align yourself with the Soviet Union. Right. Guess what? Easy choice. Same thing applies to the Japanese. Right, China uh, they, versus they us. Could, well, or the Soviet Union more immediately. Oh, yeah. I mean, they could cooperate with the conquerors, us, uh, or they could they could resist and hope that they could find some kind of salvation uh, in the communist world. Again, easy choice. Though that notion has not applied in our post nine eleven world, and so the circumstances, the unique circumstances that facilitated transforming defeated Germany and defeated Japan into more or less liberal democracies simply has not existed since then. We repeatedly think we can create a democracy, and we repeatedly fall on our faces. It is true in uh, South Vietnam and... With Germany and Japan, we didn't send our companies over there and our people over there to basically supervise the rebuilding of the country, like we're doing with all these contractors in Iraq and Afghanistan. The Marshall Plan was cash. We gave them cash. And they built their own factories to make their own steel, and they made their own concrete, and they rebuilt their own industry from the ground up rather than us coming in and saying, we're going to build all this for you like we've been doing in Afghanistan and Iraq. I believe. You know, correct me if I'm wrong about this. No, I think, I mean, you may be slightly overstating it, but I agree with the basic point, And that is that why did West Germany make this transition from Nazi rule to becoming a fairly mature liberal democracy by the early 1950s? And the answer is because, because they willed it. Uh, I mean, Conrad Adenauer, the first chancellor of the Federal Republic of Germany, pretty much a forgotten figure, I think, as far as most Americans are concerned. He was a great man. He was a great leader. He was determined that in the western part of Germany that they were going to move beyond the Nazism and embrace liberal values and embrace democracy. So it wasn't so much 
us doing it to them or for them, but us giving them the opportunity to make a, a, a wise choice. I think that happened in the western part of Germany, and it actually happened in all of Germany, if you fast forward to 1989, and it also happened in places like Japan. Yeah, and also, I mean, you know, FDR was quite explicit about this. If, if I can just play a real quick clip, I think that there's a huge difference. This is FDR back in the 19, well, during the war, actually. The opposition in this year has already imparted uh, oh, wait a minute. campaign. I, hang on just a second. This is, well, okay, I don't want to play the whole clip, but it basically he said, we will not have any war millionaires. I will not tolerate anyone getting rich on slaughter, was his quote. And it seems like the exact opposite has happened with regard to Afghanistan and Iraq. We have transferred probably over a trillion dollars to American contracting companies to do things in those countries. That is correct. This actually, I think, gets to a larger and very important point. And that is, if we look at the experience of World War II, there was an expectation of shared sacrifice. Shared sacrifice in terms of a citizen army drawn from across American society to go fight the war, but also shared sacrifice in rationing and imposing limits on how much money people are going to make out of this war. And those factors have simply, they're long gone. I mean, they disappeared, I think, at the end of Vietnam. And you're right. (laughs) Somehow or other, we end up fighting wars that offer an opportunity for some people to get very, very rich indeed while the burden of sacrifice in terms of fighting and dying, that burden is borne by a very, very small part of American society and is sure the heck hidden to rich people who are doing the fighting. Yes, we have reached that point. Uh, Jefferson said, I hope I shall never live to see the day when a young American is willing to be shot at for a sixpence. We're there. Mm. Professor Andrew Basevich, thank you so much for being with us today. It's great talking with you. Oh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. My pleasure. His most recent book, Age of Illusions, prior to that, America's War for the Greater Middle East, A Military History, Andrew Basevich. Professor Andrew Basevich. This is the Tom Hartman Program. A fascinating conversation. We'll see how this all plays out and hope for the best. Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Yeah, I just wanted to add something to it. Now, it's kind of hard because both you and Colonel Basevich are brilliant, and it was a great conversation you guys were having. But I just want to add, for thought, you know, maybe you want to respond, maybe not. The common orthodoxy of victory, okay, how we define victory, how we, um, you know, how we comprehend victory in the 21st century right now does not apply to the world's economy. Okay, and let me give you a couple examples. David Petraeus did the, um, he was a mastermind of the surge in Iraq, right? Right. He also simultaneously introduced money as a weapon system, this, this concept of money as a weapon system. Now, what we basically did is we paid, um, it, you know, insurgent forces, terrorist forces, whatever, opposition forces. We, we right. paid them to not kill us. Yeah, it was okay? called the Northern... Northern Alliance. Northern Alliance, right. And then most of those guys were just basically opium farmers, you know, out in the, in the northern rural parts of, of Afghanistan, if I'm recalling correctly. But I was referring to Iraq, but it's true about Afghanistan oh. as well. Now, let, let's you know, look at our allies. Look at um, Hamid Karzai. Look at Abdul Ghani, you know, who Trump recognized as, a, as the leader of, of Afghanistan. Right. These are our allies. They do want the United States to be successful. But what they're doing is they understand that, and they're charging more for us to lease property there, okay? As the economy is like a cost of living increase, right? Now, this is what Trump and Republicans, they only believe in spending money on bigger and better and more destructive weapons. All right. And and basically, if we wanted a Germany, Japan, post-World War II model, all right, we have to spend exponentially to do it. Now, in order to do that, we have to have a threat that is existential. And this is where my fear of, of the emerging Russia, the militarism, the emerging militarism of the modern Russia and the modern China worry me, because they would be an existential threat to the United States. And then when Donald Trump ominously said, he said, if the Taliban does not fight terror and abide by their terms, he is going to send a force in like the world has never seen. Now, we know that he's just bloviating, right? Right. 
What that really means is he is going to bomb Afghanistan into non-existence. Right. Now, the Taliban are experts at that game. What we'll end up doing is murdering, maiming um, the, the, the most vulnerable of their population, where the Taliban will retreat into areas of, of tank and Khyber Patunkwa and all that, that, that fodder, the federally administrated tribal area of Pakistan. We'll never hit them. Right. Yeah, no, I get it. And that's where they've been, and they're, they're coming back from there now. It's just the, the whole thing from the get-go was nuts. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Dave, for your thoughts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Boy, Donna Brazil. <laughs> my, my respect for Donna Brazil just went right through the roof. I mean, I've always liked Donna Brazil. I thought she was a very impressive person. In fact, she's been on the show a few times. I was really very favorably impressed when she wrote in her memoir about the 2016 election, basically an, an entire chapter apologizing to Bernie for what happened. They had her on Fox News apparently earlier today. Maybe this was late yesterday. It's all over Twitter. I will retweet this when, when I finish playing the clip. The Fox News people, a man and a woman, Donna mentions their name. I don't know who they are because I don't watch Fox News. But anyhow, Donna, Donna was on there. They uh, tossed to a clip... Romney McDaniel, who I believe is Mitt Romney's niece, but she's the head of the Republican Party, saying that the Democratic convention, that, that what was going to happen was that there wouldn't be a clear winner and it's going to go to the Democratic convention and there will be a brokered convention and on the second vote, the establishment will come in and they're going to rig this thing against Bernie. And I mean, that's literally rig it against Bernie was the phrase that she ended her little clip with. And then the host said to Donna Brazil, what say you? And I just have to play this for you. This is going to make your day. On that second vote. To that, you say what, Donna? First of all, I want to talk to my Republicans. First of all, stay the hell out of our race. Stay the hell out of our race. I get sick and tired, Ed. Uh, and Sandra, of listening to Republicans tell me and the Democrats about our process. First of all, they don't have a process. They're canceling primaries. They have winner-take-all. They don't have the kind of democracy that we see on the Democratic side. And for people to use Russian talking points to sow division among Americans, that is stupid. So, Rana, go to hell. This oh, is wow. not about... No, go to hell. I'm tired of it, Ed. We're not... 
we're not trying to prevent anyone from becoming the nominee. If you have the delegates and win, you will win. This notion that somehow or another Democrats are out there trying to put hurdles or roadblocks before one candidate, that's stupid. I know what's going on. They are, they are scared of Democrats coming together to defeat Donald Trump. They need to be focusing on what we're focusing on, the Democratic Party, and that is preventing foreign interference in our elections. Stop using Russian talking points, Madam Chair, one month. There you go. Yeah, there, there you go. Go, go to hell. <laughs> just amazing. I'm uh, just going to retweet this. Right there we go. So if you, if you want to see it, you want to hear it again, you want to play it for your friends. There you go. Anyhow, not a single person on any of the talk shows on any of the Sunday shows asked Mike Pence about his record with HIV in Indiana. Why is it that when they get a Democrat on? They ask really tough, you know, stick the knife in questions. And when they get a Republican on, it's like, oh, you know, uh, what's your favorite color? What is with this? I honestly don't understand it. It, it just blows my mind. Anyhow, let's do a poll. Just a quick poll. Who would you vote for if, you know, because I realize, you know, some of you don't live in Super Tuesday states and so you can't vote. I will call out your, your the first three digits of your phone number, your area code. 360 area code. Who would you vote for and why? Bernie Sanders, because of Medicare for All, his honesty and fairness in politics. Okay. Area code 951, who would you vote for? I would vote for Bernie Sanders because he can beat Donald Trump. Okay. Area code 503, who would you vote for? Bernie Sanders. Okay. Area code 520, who would you vote for? I'd vote for Bernie Sanders because of Medicare for All. Actually, I've early voted. And also, he wants to bring back Glass-Steagall. Thanks, Tom. Okay, you're welcome. Area code 651, who would you vote for? Elizabeth Warren. She has a plan for everything. Okay, great. Uh, area code 708, who would you vote for? Senator Warren, because in a general election, I believe she's the most electable Democrat. Okay. Uh, area code 408, who would you vote for? Elizabeth Warren, because of the legislation that she's put through to protect consumers against banks and also because she is for universal health care. Okay, great. Thank you. Area code 503, who would you vote for? Bernie Sanders, because he has nothing left to prove. Okay. Area code 8847, who would you vote for? Um, I would vote for Bernie Sanders because of Medicare for All. Okay. Area code 828, who would you vote for? Uh, Bernie Sanders. Okay. Area code 313, who would you vote for? I'm voting for Bernie in Michigan on March 10th because he's not pay to play. Okay. Area code 206, who would you vote for? Yes, I would vote for Joe Biden because he can bring the Senate and keep the House. Okay, thank you. Area code 206, who would you vote for? Bernie Sanders, he's consistent. I want uh, Medicare for all, and uh, he's an honest man. Okay. Area code 724, who would you vote for and, and why? I'd vote for Joe Biden. I'd like to have things back the way they were and like to have people appointed back to their uh, positions and vetted. Okay, thank you. Area code 505, who would you vote for? Bernie Sanders, Medicare for All, Glass-Steagall. Okay, you. thank you. Area code 860, who would you vote for? I'd vote for Bernie, and it's because of um, his Medicaid program. Okay, thank you. Area code 314, who would you vote for? Bernie Sanders, because Medicare for All. Okay. Area code uh, 206, who would you vote for? Bernie, for, uh, because of health care, education, and child care. Okay. Area code uh, 847, who would you vote for? Elizabeth Warren. And why? I, I like her wealth tax and her Medicare plan, and uh, I just think she's got a great plan for everything. Okay. Uh, area code 248, who would you be voting for and why? Bernie Sanders, because of Medicare for All. Okay. Area code 360, who would, you, who would you be voting for and why? Elizabeth Warren, consumer protection, because she would debate the living bejesus out of that thing in the White House. Okay, well said. Area code 708, who would you vote for? Elizabeth Warren, she's got a plan for everything. She's brilliant. Thank you. Area, area code uh, 651, who would you vote for? 
uh, Minnesota, and I'm voting for Bernie on Tuesday because of Medicare for All. We had two young men in their 20s die here because they were rationing their insulin, and um, we can't have young men rationing their insulin because they don't have health insurance. Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, area code 615, who would you vote for? Joe Biden. I think he can beat Trump. Okay. Thank you. Area code 312, who would you vote for? I would vote for Bernie Sanders because he can energize the base. Okay, area code uh, 206, who would you be voting for? Bernie Sanders for his immigration plan to abolish ICE and make DACA recipients legal. Johnny in Galveston, Texas. Hey, Johnny, what's on your mind today? Recently, this past week, Nancy Pelosi, in her press conference to reporters, she said two things I found really disturbing. Okay, the first thing she said was, We've, meaning the party, the DNC, we've decided to win. I'm referring to this race, the, the 2020 race. What's disturbing about first that? Question, yeah, the first question that comes to my mind is, wait a minute, you've decided to win this time. What does that mean? You've decided to lose to the Republicans on no, all the other races recently? She's, she's, just, she's just playing cheerleader here, I, you know, and it's a good thing that she is. She's, she, she, you know, we're, go, we're going all in. And I think the subtext of that is we're going to set aside the infighting and the battle, you know, the battles, uh, you know, among candidates. Vote blue no matter who. I believe that that was the essence of her comment, Johnny. Well, that, that leads to my second thing. She said unity, 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 right. referring to, like you just said, vote blue no matter who. Right. But here's my subtext to that. When she says vote blue no matter who or unity, 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 what she's really doing is she's giving herself and the DNC permission to continue to engage in all kinds of uh, unethical tactics in order to uh, dislodge a progressive candidate like either Warren or especially Bernie Sanders. So that when... You know, I don't see that happening, Johnny. Say again? I don't see that happening. You don't see that happening. You, no. you don't think they're flooding the field with two extra candidates that they change the rules midstream? You, well, you don't Bloomberg, see that as a problem? Yeah, Bloomberg, I mean, they, they did, actually, the DNC did change the rules so that Bloomberg could participate in the debate. And I thought that was a mistake. Um, I, but on the other hand, the upside of that was that, you know, Bloomberg, I mean, if I was Tom Perez and I'm looking at this situation, and here's, here's Bloomberg who has poured a half a billion dollars into the election, I would be thinking to myself, you know, for the good of the party, for the good of the nation, Americans should see how this guy does on the debate stage before they choose him to go up against Donald Trump. And, and so, yeah, the DNC changed the rules to, because, the, you know, the rules ha before were you had to raise a certain amount of money and you had to have a, a certain hit in the polls. Bloomberg was hitting those numbers in the polls, but he hadn't raised any money because he's funding it himself. So they changed the rules to allow that. And I think that, that was a good thing because we all got to see that Bloomberg is probably not the guy who's going to, who's going to beat Donald Trump. I mean, he, he just performed terribly in both the debates. Uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if he if he can pull a rabbit out of the hat. If he gets better at this, um, something like that. But but I you know I don't I didn't see that as you know let's take down Bernie. I saw that as this guy just put a half a billion dollars into the race, and you know the American people need to need to know who he is and hear what he has to say. I mean, doesn't that make sense, Johnny? Well, Tom, well, you just said he pulled a rabbit out of the hat, and he just pulled a rabbit out of the hat. Yesterday afternoon, I heard a one-minute or one-and-a-half-minute or two-minute ad of his where he's photographed in what looks like an Oval Office-type setting, and he's actually sounding reasonable in the way he's proposing to deal with these issues related to what Trump is failing to do. He being Bloomberg. So that could be the rabbit. If Bloomberg is the nominee, I don't think he'll make a terrible president. I just don't think that he's the guy who can most easily beat Donald Trump. But I could be entirely wrong on that, too. I mean, I, it's, it's like, you know, we've gotten a whole series of surprises here over the last, last decade in, 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 in our elections. And, and uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't... Here's, here's I, my problem, I am Tom. not freaked out about this, Johnny. That's the bottom line. I am not freaked out about this. Well, the reason why I'm freaked out is because we had two 
of the seven candidates, we had two fantastic candidates, Warren and Bernie Sanders. And instead of uh, going with what they're saying and taking to heart what they're saying and knowing that they're not going to burn down the party or the country, they insist on changing the rules so that two billionaires can enter the race. It's like you're having a marathon and all of a sudden these guys get out of well, the Well, Steyer got in with the exact same rules that everybody else did. It was Bloomberg that they changed the rules for, because Steyer had actually been raising money. So he had the fundraising stuff plus the polls. Bloomberg didn't. But, you know, I, you know, I get what you're saying, Johnny. I, you know, we'll, we'll, just have to, we'll just have to see how it all plays out. Thanks for the call. Gene in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Gene, what's on your mind today? Thank you, Tom, for taking my call. I like your show. I've been uh, a listener since like uh, 11 years. But I don't know. Really Thank you. I, I buy product that you are advertised just, you know, to keep up with the show because I like the job that you're doing for us. And, uh, okay, you said something about Malcolm Nance uh, from yeah. the beginning. Yeah, well, and he's just, I mean, I, I didn't mean to pick on Malcolm. He's, he's just one of the more no, outspoken voices saying, saying Bernie will melt I'm down the just party. A listener. Yeah. I'm just a listener. I'm doing my part. Mm -hmm. uh, I listen to him, at Stephanie Miller, all the time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I have to disagree with him. Uh, uh, for, I don't think it is time now to pick up on Bernie Sanders or anybody. It's time for us to come together to beat Trump. Yeah. And, and Bernie, Bernie, Bernie is the one that uh, brought a lot of light to this campaign. Mm -hmm. And and I don't think Joe Biden have anything new to bring here. Don't forget that Joe Biden uh, uh, is the one that Trump is elected today. Uh, that's his administration. And I see like the black people like me. In South Carolina, I listened to the congressman and go and vote for Joe Biden like that. He did not win any other state. That doesn't mean to every black people on any other state is going to vote for him. Mm. Okay, he doesn't have he doesn't have anything new to bring to this campaign, and he's not. Well, I think there's a, a gene. There's probably a lot of people out there who are ready for. I don't want anything new. You know, I just I would just like something normal. Yeah, I mean, the, the Trump administration is so abnormal that I think that, that a return to normalcy is something that resonates with people probably just as much as, you know, let's have Medicare for all. Yes, yes. And for me, as a black man, Joe Biden will be like George Bush, Bill Clinton, Obama, and all of them. He can not bring anything new to me as a black man. But for me, I'm going to take my chance with him and burst. Or Elizabeth, I, I understand. I don't want to vote for Trump. I understand that. If I, I don't vote like for anybody else, let me say that, or anybody else that the Democrat brought to me. But if you're talking about change, Bernie is the one or Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Nobody else. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think there's a broad consensus about that. I mean, it's, it, you know, everybody, everybody gets that. But these, these two candidates, if you, if you really want to continue the work that, that Franklin Roosevelt and Lyndon Johnson started in the Democratic Party, you know, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are the people to do that. But frankly, I think even Joe Biden is, is uh, you know, and, and all of the other so-called moderate candidates, Amy Klobuchar, I think all of them will move us forward in those directions, maybe a little more slowly, but I think we're moving in that direction. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back, Tom Harvin here with you. You know, we've uh, we've been through public health crises before. We, we had the, uh, the H1N1 flu in 2009. We had SARS back in 2003. Uh, you know, it's been more than a decade, but, you know, we, we went through these things that actually had a, 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 at least a small but measurable impact on the economy. And Elizabeth Warren has now rolled out a plan to deal with the coronavirus. Um, this is such straightforward, simple, common sense stuff that it's, it's kind of mind numbing that the Trump administration is not even t 
talking about this kind of stuff. We, we saw, you know, Mike Pence doing the weekend shows, uh, you know, basically saying the Dem- Democrats are trying to hype this, you know, and we've got this under control and all, all this kind of nonsense. But, you know, basically what uh, Elizabeth Warren is proposing, and this is a, a detailed plan, she's got a plan for everything. I mean, you know, it reduces everything to a solid plan. Um, key actions would include making tests and treatments free to anybody who wants them or needs them. Uh, providing paid leave to people who must miss work uh, or who must care for relatives who may have this, might be in quarantine, and propping up the economy with $400 billion in new government spending to, you know, to keep the economy from collapsing. Um, the, you know, the, 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 the news is already filled with stories like, you know, this guy in Miami who got this surprise bill. He, he, had, um, he had either been to a country where the, where the coronavirus was or he uh, lived with somebody, I, I, you know, we talked about it last week, um, and he had a reason to be concerned, and he, has, and he had a cough, you know, he had, a, he had the symptoms, he had a fever and a cough, and so he went to a local hospital and said, I think I might have been exposed to the coronavirus, and would you please test me? And they said, sure, and they tested him, and the test came back negative, and he gets home and he gets a bill in the mail for $3,275. So what Warren's plan would do is basically make it a law that private insurance companies have to pay for coronavirus testing with no out-of-pocket costs and no co-pays. And as for the vaccine, Elizabeth Warren is suggesting that the government should provide a, a guarantee bulk purchases in order to encourage mass production and make sure that the vaccines are available at no cost. And if after a vaccine is developed, that I'm reading this from a piece in today's Huffington Post, if after the vaccine is developed, a private manufacturer charges, quote, an outrageous price, Warren said, the government should consider granting the production license to other manufacturers, which, by the way, is something that we did during the anthrax scare of 2001. So she also wants to create an emergency paid leave program under which anybody who has to miss work because they have the coronavirus or because they have to care for somebody with the coronavirus would get money to replace the lost wages. Campaign officials said that the emergency paid leave legislation initiative could operate through existing unemployment insurance programs. So this is public health. This is this would reduce the spread of the virus by keeping people at home. You know, I mean, one of the we're, we're I believe the only developed country in the world that does not have paid sick leave, and it would uh, and and it would make it a whole lot easier for a whole lot of people to get tested, especially now that the uh, the federal government is no longer publishing numbers about how many people they are testing. I mean that's that's crazy. Speaking of Elizabeth Warren, she created you know the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, this agency inside our federal government that that looks out for you. I mean, her the metaphor that she uses is, you know, if your toaster catches on fire, there's an agency that makes sure that your toaster manufacturer doesn't make a defective toaster. Um, if your car, you know, catches on fire, you know, or if a car is made that easily, you know, the old Pinto thing, um, you know, there's a federal agency that deals with that. Well, there was no federal agency that dealt with if your bank crashes or if your bank screws you. And so she helped create the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and it has recovered billions of dollars of money that have been basically stolen from you know average Americans, people like you and me, by big banks and other financial institutions. And lo and behold, the right wingers, the Republicans, are taking this to court. And uh, in fact, the uh, it's going to be tested tomorrow. The Supreme Court will hear, hear oral arguments tomorrow morning on the constitutionality of the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau's leadership structure. And uh, Nick Simpson from the Consumer Bankers Association just uh, sent along the uh, amicus brief in this uh, constitutionality case. The Washington Post is is writing about it also. Uh, Renee Merle, Elizabeth Warren wanted blood and teeth left on the floor in CFPB fights. Now it faces the U.S. Supreme Court. And so sure enough, here we are. Blaine, Minnesota, B-L-A-N-E, Minnesota? Blaine. Oh, Blaine. It's yeah, Blaine. okay. Yeah. We've got a funny capital letter in here. I'm sorry. No problem. I was calling to talk to you about Medicare for All and how I just get so frustrated when I hear candidates like Joe Biden and, and you know, uh, some of the moderate candidates 
saying that union members don't want to lose their insurance. Mm-hmm. Speaking of somebody who gets our insurance through my husband's union, I am saying I would much rather pay, you know, an extra three or four thousand dollars a year for our health insurance and not have to pay almost twenty thousand dollars for the insurance that we currently have. Yeah. And I wish that it would be framed in more of a like this could be this could equal the largest tax cut for working class Americans or the largest wage increase for working class Americans, whichever way you want to frame it, I mm-hmm. think that that would be so much more effective, Yeah, you know, in, in trying to fight against that. And I don't hear people on the left, I don't hear progressives saying that very often. I think often. the good news, but, Cara, you know, is that we're not going to be having this debate very much longer. I, I, I would be amazed if another four years goes by and we don't have something resembling Medicare for all, or we, or we haven't really started aggressively moving in that direction. Um, Bernie has so successfully in a four-year period shifted, uh, really a five-year period, you look at the primary in 2016, um, shifted the conversation in this country. I mean, it used to be that the idea of a public option was controversial. Now you've got Joe Biden talking about a public option. Uh, You know, it's, it's, uh, so, you know, I, I really think that that uh, we're moving in that direction. I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, yes, the unions will be supporting Medicare for all and for good reasons as well. I'm with you. Cara, thanks so much for listening to AM 930. It's great to hear from you. Deborah in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Deborah, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? The Democrats are really banking on Joe Biden winning and his numbers going up, but he's not beating out Trump. And he doesn't... Now, what do you base and, that and on? This Deborah? is not an attack. This is not an attack. I just, I no, just I get went that. to. Okay. But um, what are you basing that on? I mean, I, the, the numbers that I've seen, the national polling that I've seen, indicate that every Democrat beats Trump, and that the two Democrats who beat Trump most effectively are Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden in that order. Okay. Well, I, I didn't know that his that his uh, his stats improved because I was under the impression that he doesn't beat out Donald Trump. Well, and there were some, there were some individual state ones where he didn't. I don't recall which okay. states they were, but the, if you look at the national numbers, that's what you see. Well, my concern is, is that he's, he's uh, improving in the Republican states that's going to go Republican anyway. Hmm. But what about the states that are, that are Democratic that Bernie's winning? I'm hmm. just concerned that uh, if we do have this corona outbreak, that with Bernie, he can he has a transition that that can help where people won't get bankrupt, mm-hmm. won't go bankrupt uh, with with the insurance. But I do want to mention that there is a video out by Matt Orphalia. It's called MLK and Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump, and and everybody should see this video because it's it's like Bernie is. Uh, Martin Luther King is talking about socialism and his idea of socialism. And it's like Bernie is taking that baton saying, give me that baton, I'll take it to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be black to believe in the same things that Martin Luther King believes in. I would strongly recommend anybody to look at that video because he's doing exactly that. And I... I think that I really think that everybody that the Dems are making a mistake because I know Bernie can win, and I, it's not because I'm just simply a Bernie supporter. I'm looking at the numbers, he beats he he he's winning the Democratic states, and um, he has a smooth transition. And I think that people need to take a serious look at that of of what does what does Joe Biden offer me as an individual. And does he offer anything? And what does what does Bernie offer? Yeah, yeah. That's all I have to say. What do you think about this? Uh, well, I, you know, I, 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 at this mo- at this point in time, I think that any Democrat will beat Donald Trump. But there's a lot of time to go, and there are a lot of events that have not yet come to pass that we need to be paying attention to. How this coronavirus thing is going to play out, you know, what impact that's going to have on the election. 
um, what impact it's going to have on the economy. I mean, the conventional wisdom is if the economy goes down, then Trump loses badly. But if he can blame it on on something specific, it's the virus and, and the Democrats are making it worse or something like that. It's really getting hard to predict things, Deborah. It really is because there's just so much chaos in the system right now mm-hmm. that, you know, we just need to hang on tight and, and get everybody we know to make sure that they're registered to vote and get them out there. Deborah, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Coming up this week on The Science Revolution, is the coronavirus about to show us the cost of not having Medicare for all? Former health insurance executive Wendell Potter, public health professor at George Washington University Medical School, Dr. Lena Wen, and author of The Coming Plague, Lori Garrett, all join me for the most up-to-date information on the now pandemic coronavirus. Don't miss it and check it out wherever fine podcasts are available. Tom Hartman program, the place where despair is not an option. Is it Mayer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Am I saying that right? M-A-H-E-R? Yes, that's right. What's up, Mayor? Joe Biden and the possibility of Joe Biden becoming the president. Like at a time, people cannot afford deductibles, out-of-pocket max maximum co-payments. They're really indebted to education. They're broke. They can't afford getting a mortgage or having child care. And, and this been the case with Bush, Obama, like all the presidents and Trump and Biden is just going to continue, continue this. What would you tell someone that is living? Why would we lie to someone that Biden is going to change their lives? Maybe they're better off immigrating to a democratic socialist country in Europe or Canada, that would bring more change to their life than actually relying on any of the Democrats. Yeah. Mayor, those countries are not going to take you. <laughs> First of all, you know, it's like, they're enough. We don't want any more Americans. Um, but beyond that, if, if Biden is president, you know, it's, it's the, the fear of Biden being president is almost as misplaced as the as the um, uh, hope of Bernie being president. Hope is the wrong word. As the certainty that if Bernie is president, everything's going to magically get better. Um, in in both cases, what's going to happen is the leadership of this country is going to have to respond to the people. They have not been responding to the people with regard to the issues that you raised. Healthcare, although the Affordable Care Act was a good step in the right direction, but it was just a, uh, it was just a small step in the right direction. Um, with regard to education, it's just it's, it's an ongoing disaster. And I think you can track a lot of this back to that 2005 uh, bankruptcy bill. And, and if Joe Biden becomes the president, or if Bernie Sanders becomes the president, change is only going to happen if enough of us mobilize and push it. If enough of if we uh, if we elect enough progressives to the House and Senate, if we if we can change the nature and composition of our own states and and, and get involved in politics. So rather than sitting around and saying, you know, my savior is going to be Bernie or the anti-savior is going to be Joe Biden and, uh, you know, woe is me or whatever. I think what we need to be doing is saying, you know, I'm going to get inside the Democratic Party. I'm going to volunteer to be a precinct committee person. I'm going to be one of the people who actually makes change in this party. If Biden is the president, I'm going to be one of the people leaning on him and all the other Democrats to actually renounce Reaganism because, you know, neither Bill Clinton nor Barack Obama did that. We have not yet said we're going to go back to an economic system based on on you know real classical economics like we had you know uh, Keynesian economics you could call it like we had from 1932 until 1981 and from 81 till today we've been operating in this supply side world this Reaganomics world that just wipes out the middle class and wipes out young people and it's not going to change just because Bernie gets elected. It's, it's not going and to, and it's not going to not change if Joe Biden gets elected. What's going to happen is it's going to change as a consequence of individuals getting active and infiltrating the Democratic Party, pushing the Democratic Party, moving things in a positive direction. So the work is ours. So let's not despair and let's not, on the other hand, have you know false hopes of how one person is going to magically change or ruin everything. It ain't going to work that way. Nigel, our webmaster, put a poll up on YouTube and kept it up uh, throughout the show. And it got 6,870 votes. 
Joe Biden got uh, 475 votes, that's 7 percent. Michael Bloomberg got 135 votes, that's 2 percent. Elizabeth Warren got 270 votes, 4 percent. No preference got 200 votes, that's 3 percent. And Bernie Sanders got 5,790 votes, 85 percent of the votes on our YouTube poll yesterday. You know, for what it's worth, it's fascinating stuff. So I was on Stephanie Miller's show. She has regularly on her show Malcolm Nance, who I tweeted to over the weekend. He had this tweet about how if Bernie is the nominee, then we're going to lose the House, we're going to lose the Senate, we're going to lose the White House, Trump wins, it's the end of the world. And I basically said, take a breath, Malcolm. Bernie is not proposing any legislation that has not already in the past been proposed by either President Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, Jack Kennedy, or Lyndon Johnson. All of them have proposed free college, all of them. In fact, we had free college in California and close to free everywhere else in the country, right up until the Reagan presidency and, you know, the Reagan governorship. He ended free college. So anyhow, he's taking that position that Bernie's the nominee. We're all doomed. I have said, and I believe I can build the case for this. I don't have the level of certainty that apparently Malcolm does that I think that if Joe Biden is the nominee, that he's probably one of our weakest nominees in terms of taking on Trump. But I could be totally wrong about this. You know, I base that on the lack of broad grassroots support, although, you know, South Carolina, that was a pretty good showing. In fact, that was a damn good showing. And so my question to you is, who do you think is going to be our strongest candidate our strongest nominee. Now, Pete Buttigieg has dropped out, and, you know, we'll see what that does. We'll see, you know, how that moves. I mean, basically what's happening is, you know, things are kind of aligning. And Donald Trump has been such a terrible president and done such a terrible job that outside of his base, he's got no legs. And that pretty much whoever gets the nomination, the Democratic nomination, is going to be the next president. You know, knock wood here. Let's not take anything for granted. Charles in Prescott Valley, Arizona. Hey, Charles, thanks for watching Free Speech. What's up? Yeah, hi. I just want to remark on, uh, well, the cut is short as possible, on uh, uh, a previous caller. And I'm sure this came up, it didn't come across correctly to me. But uh, it, it does significantly matter who we choose as president. Bernie would provide the most uh, powerful focus as a kind of a spark plug to uh, encourage uh, the participation of uh, uh, of citizens instead of the billionaires. I absolutely uh, agree. Maintaining the, it's the why it's why I support okay, Bernie I, and I Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, yeah, I, well, I, I agree. But when I was when I was pushing back on this guy, he was basically saying, if Joe Biden becomes the nominee, we should all just leave the country. And and I'm saying, even if Joe Biden is the nominee, we are not without agency. We are we we are not lost. We you know we there are still things we can do, and we can still push the Democratic Party in the right direction. And frankly, it's been moving in that direction very rapidly, in large part thanks to Bernie Sanders over the last five years, and is going to continue moving back toward its FDR LBJ roots and. And that, in my mind, is a very, very good thing that we need to be uh, pushing for. Charles, thanks for the call. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Yeah, well, let's pick up there. If it's a Bernie versus Biden two-person race, what I hear, Tom, when I talk to people, is that the so-called moderate wing of the Democratic Party are afraid of Bernie. I think a lot of Democrats, and I'm surprised when I talk to them, they really re going to get back to the line of scrimmage. That means get rid of Trump and then sit on the ball for three plays. And then in four years, they're going to have to punt because you know what they're going to say? Biden didn't do anything. Mm. And then the Republicans will say, yeah, Biden didn't do anything. Bernie Sanders, yeah, they're going to call him a socialist. But you know what? We're going to hear nonstop Burisma and Hunter Biden from Trump, too. Yep. Whichever one gets it. But I, I, this fear of wanting to do anything a fear of progress is really frightening within the Democratic Party. They just really want to go back to blithely going about their business without having to think about a dictator taking over. But once the dictator is gone, they think they're safe. But, Tom, this dictator ain't going away. I don't care whether they hold the White House or not. The Republican Party have defected. This uh, right-wing propaganda is never going to stop. We're going to be dealing with it with the Russian interference forever. Robbie in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Robbie, what's on your mind? 
I went to your book signing on yeah, Friday. Yeah, nice to see you, Robbie. I really appreciate the book. I'm glad that you know you're, you're putting this out there. But why is nobody talking about the results that the Associated Press are refusing to release in Iowa that was re-canvassed by Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders? Right. Why, why are we not hearing this from you? When the Des Moines Register, I believe, was the newspaper, they do this yes. uh, poll for every election, and it is one of the most watched polls in America. And when they refused to release the results of their poll, I thought, No, this it was the stinks. Associated Press. Tom, it was the Associated Press that refused to release the results of the re-canvassed election. Right now, the Iowa caucus from a month ago has not had their results finalized. The Iowa right. Democratic Party tried to finalize it. The Associated Press is refusing to release the numbers because there are inconsistencies still. Is this not Democrats rigging an Iowa caucus again? Well, it sounds to me like it's the Associated Press trying to make sure that if they're putting out numbers, they're real numbers. Do you know the last time that the Associated Press didn't release numbers of an election? Well, first of all, I don't know that it's the Associated Press that's the logjam here, it Robbie. Is. I, I thought it was you, the Democratic I Party. You the link. I okay, then, you the link then your complaint is not let me get this. your complaint is not with the Democratic Party. It's with the AP. No, it's with the Iowa Democratic Party because they are releasing numbers that the Associated Press is finding inconsistent. Oh, I see what you're saying. I think it's just a massive screw up, Robbie. Okay, whatever, Tom. Like that's what that's what the news is going to sell us. But meanwhile, the last time the Associated Press refused to release their numbers because of inconsistencies in the election was in Florida in 2000 with Al Gore and George Bush. Right. How is it that we cannot call corruption where corruption is and say that Iowa was attempted to be rigged, but it was not because Bernie Sanders has the Bernie Sanders app. Do you know what the Bernie Sanders app is? Uh, yeah, but that's... The Bernie Sanders app was why there might be a lawsuit depending on what happens in Iowa and why Buttigieg had to call it because they tried rigging in Iowa and nobody seems to care about the Democrats rigging election why? 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 My, my guess, Robbie, was that, you know, Bernie was walking away with it in the poll. But apparently when you took the poll, not all the candidates were showing on the page. That was the complaint that Buttigieg had. But I thought it was randomized, so that would have been worked out. But, you know, I wasn't there, Robbie, and I'm putting that behind me. Jennifer in Stillwater, Minnesota. Hey, Jennifer, what's on your mind today? I wanted to say to Malcolm Nance and the McCarthyism, the red baiting that's going on against Bernie, that... South Carolina just proved you wrong because Bernie lost in a landslide in a state that is a red state. It's always been won by the Republicans, and every one of those Republicans had nothing to do on Saturday. They certainly could have followed the Russians, you know, and Putin and gone over and voted for Bernie. It's an open primary state. You know, all the Democratic, you know, the DNC, all the Democratic establishment types have been claiming that oh, the Russians want Bernie to win, and so they're going to have all the Republican voters in cross over and vote for Bernie because Trump will immediately destroy Bernie and beat Bernie. So you can't vote for Bernie because Trump will beat him. So South Carolina just proved that, just blew that theory right out of the water because Bernie lost in a landslide, just like he did in 2016, because none of these Russian Republicans voted for him. They all just went right. golfing. Well, it's, so, I mean, you, you could know, even, if you, if you want to go down that conspiracy rabbit hole, you could even suggest that those Republicans were voting for Joe Biden because the whole Burisma, Hunter Biden thing, they think will actually uh, give them the ability to say, yeah, Trump's a little corrupt, but so is Joe Biden. So, you know, just stay with what you've got. And, right. and clearly they didn't, clearly they did not vote for Bernie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Uh, Anthony in Detroit. Hey, Anthony, what's on your mind today? Any Democrat would be better for us in terms of emergency management and our standing in the world and what have you. That being said, personally, I'm just feeling reservations about Joe Biden for his policy proposals, of which I'm not sure what any of them are. And honestly, I don't think his fitness for office is being examined closely enough. I think it's really serious, in my opinion. Joe has not done great in the debates, but I don't think that he's incompetent or unfit. I mean, what, what are you talking about? I'm really not trying to be rude, but just age and the slips of the, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, part of that is that he's been a lifelong stutterer, and so he catches himself. And but you know, I, I get that. But even I mean, Ronald Reagan was in full-blown Alzheimer's the last two years of his presidency. A friend of mine was the court reporter who did the deposition on Iran Contra in uh, 1987, I guess it was. And Reagan, over a hundred times, said, "I don't remember," and literally didn't. I mean, there were times when he wasn't even sure what room he was in or why he was in the room, and he was president of the United States. So, I, you know, to the extent that Joe might be slipping a little bit in his 70s, I'm not. I'll take that over Donald Trump any day of the week, Anthony. I'm just, you know, that is not freaking me out. What concerns me is that I don't think that there's as much passion for Joe Biden on the ground as there is for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. Frankly, I think a, a genuinely progressive candidate will bring out huge numbers of people, whereas, you know, a, a kind of same old, same old Democrat might not. But on the other hand, no matter who the Democratic candidate is, they're up against Trump. And that's going to be something that's going to turn a lot of people out, too. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So I, I really do believe whoever is the Democratic nominee in all probability is going to win this election unless there is some sort of terrible black swan event like Trump declares war on Iran. Steve in Topanga, California. Hey, Steve. Yeah, I uh, think that we need to protect our whistleblowers because, you know, yes. all these issues that are coming up, could, we could get to the bottom of it if we protected our whistleblowers. And a lot of times they get ratted out by IGs and they get identified when they want to remain anonymous. Tom Mueller's book, Crisis of Conscience, Whistleblowing in the Age of Fraud, is uh, just an amazing read. Anyway, this is how we, the people that are inside that, have, that are career guys, this is what they do and they can tell us what's going on. Yeah, Thanks, I'm with Tom. you. Thank you, Steve. I'm with you. Right. Our whistleblowers, it's, this is actually a really, really big deal because the Trump administration has declared war on whistleblowers. And it will have a chilling effect across our government. And that's not a good and healthy thing. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. So please get out there, get active, tag your it, and tell your friends how to find progressive media. Let's build our base here and let's wake more people up. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.